Every month, 
is Black History Month, we should continue to share our illustrious heritage and contribution to the world with our sons, daughters, families, communities, countrymen, and women, and the world community. We must never forget who, what, and where we come from. Let's look at some things we have accomplished. Last week we talked about inventions by, because we were uh, cut a little short at the end of it, of the end of the uh, period. So in terms of African Americans, I briefly went into their ancestry. So I went to, we talked about 12 African inventions that helped change the world. So we're going to go through that um, very quickly. Uh, mathematics, the invention of mathematics is placed firmly in African prehistory. Medical object is the Limbombo bone, which was discovered in the Limbombo Mountains of Swaziland and dated to approximately 35,000 B.C. Many of the math concepts that are learned in school today are also developed, were also developed in Africa over 35,000 years ago. Ancient Egyptians scripted textbooks about math that included division and multiplication of fractions and geometric formulas to calculate the area and volume of shapes. Sounds like the Egyptians were some smart uh, group of people over there. Medicine. Many treatments today, used today in modern medicine, were first employed in Africa centuries years ago. The earliest known surgery was performed in Egypt around 2007. 150 BC medical procedures performed in ancient Africa. Four that were performed in Europe include vaccination, well, autopsy, limb traction, and broken bone setting, uh, brain surgery, skin grafting, filling of dental cavities, installation of false teeth. That's a lot. Cesarean sections, anesthesia, and tissue. Carterization. Um, Hotep is the father of medicine. I know that we probably got that. Um, we got the other message about who was the father of a message, a guy by the name of Hippocrates, Hippocrates in Greek. But Mr. Uh, Philip True Jr. from Historical Personalities and Issues saying Hotep called God of Medicine. Prince of Peace and a type of Christ. Imhotep was worshipped as a god and healer from approximately uh, 2850 BC to 2525 BC and as a full deity from 25 BC to 5550 AD. Even kings and queens bowed at his throne. Imhotep lived during the third dynasty at the court of King Zoser, Imhotep was known for the known scribe, chief lecturer, priest, architect, astronomer, astronomer, magician, medicine and magic were used together. For 3,000 years, he was worshipped as a god in Greece and Rome. Early Christians worshipped him as the prince of peace. That's some interesting information right there. That, um, that mirrors some um, other research. Imhotep was also a poet and philosopher. He urged um, contentment and preached cheerfulness. When the Egyptians crossed the Mediterranean, becoming the foundation of the Greek culture, Imhotep's teachings, they were the originators of everything. Imhotep, Imhotep was forgotten for thousands of years, and a legendary figure, Hippocrates, who came 2,000 years after him, became known as the father of medicine. Speech, using um, estimates supported by genetic, archaeological, and paleontological, and other evidence suggests that language probably emerged somewhere in sub-Saharan Africa during the Middle Stone Age. Hence, the first words by humans were spoken by Africans. Well, that, that kind of makes sense with the whole thing about uh, man coming from original, mankind originating with Africa, because you can kind of see that. Architecture and engineering. After the African empire of Egypt developed a vast array of diverse structures and great architectural monuments along the Nile. 
amongst the largest and most famous are the great pyramids of Gaza and the great sphinx of Gaza. And in the 12th century, there were hundreds of great cities in Zimbabwe and Mozambique made of massive stone complexes and huge cast-like compounds. In the 13th century, the empire of Mali hosted impressive cities including Timbuktu and the grand palaces, mosques, and universities, mining and minerals. They did a lot of mining of minerals um, in Swaziland, which radiocarbon dating shows to be about 43,000 years old. Ancient Egyptians mined a mineral called Valete, while the gold mines of Nubia were among the largest and the most extensive in the world. Lurgy and tool. Many advices in metallurgy and tool making were made across the entire entirety of ancient Africa. These include steam engines, metal chisels, saws, copper, iron tools and weapons, nails, blue, carbon, steel, and bronze weapons and art. It places in places like Tanzania, Rwanda, and Uganda, and the advances of the uh, metallurgy and tool making surpassed those in Europe. I hope I said that word uh, close to right. Navigation. Evidence suggests that ancient African sailed to South America and Asia hundreds of years before the Europeans, debunking the propaganda that Europeans were the first to sail to the Americas. Many ancient societies in Africa built different types of boats from small vessels to large ships that could carry up to 80 tons. That's a big boat. Law and religion. Evidence shows that the ancient Ethiopians were the first to honor their God, other offer sacrifices, and organize other religious customs for people to honor the divine as well as the first country to have established law. Astronomy. Several ancient African cultures first discoveries in Astronomy. Many are many of these are foundations which we still rely on, and some were so advanced that their mode of discovery still cannot be understood. The Dogen people of Mali amassed a wealth of detailed astronomical observations. They knew of the Saturn rings, Jupiter moons, the spiral structure of the Milky Way, and the orbit of the Cyrus star system. Now, how did they know that just from being on the Earth? So that's a um, hell of a question there. Philosophy in Africa has a long history of dating, history dating from pre-dynastic Egypt and continuing through the birth of Christianity and Islam. One of the earliest works of political philosophy was the Maximus of Ptah Hotep, which was taught to Egyptian schoolboys for centuries. Ancient Egyptian philosophers made extreme, extremely important contributions to the Hellenistic philosophy. That's back to the Greek thing, y'all, European. So Christian philosophy and Islamic philosophy. International trade. Evidence shows, of course, these guys had these boats. I'm sure that they um, did some international trade, huge boats. Evidence shows that international trade was first developed between Africa and Asia, and amongst these international trade contacts were the exchange of ideas and cultural practices that laid the foundation of the earliest civilizations of the ancient world. Art. We have some objects um, of art in the series of um, snail shells about 75,000 years old were discovered in South and South Africa uh, caves. So... Africans uh, have, the descendants of the slaves have contributed a lot to uh, the world. Hispanics, they have been all contributors also. We have, I'm just going to go through a couple of things that Hispanic um, people of Hispanic descent have. Pedro Flores was the first person to manufacture the yo-yo in the United States. Ellen Ochoa invented the optical analysis system and also was the world's first Hispanic astronaut. Luis Federico was awarded the Nobel Prize for his discovery of sugar nucleotides and their role in the biosynthesis of carbohydrates. Carlos finally became famous for his work in identifying the mosquito 
as a carrier of the deadly yellow fever germ. Santiago Ramon y Cajal was famous of Hispanic inventor who awarded the, was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for his work in the structure of the nervous system. Miguel Servet worked in anatomy and physiology led him to discovery, discovery of circulation of blood through the human body. Luis Meramontes was the chemist who co-invented the contraceptive pill. I guess everybody should, a lot of women should love him, guys, too. In 1951, he wrote a new procedure for the synthesis of the progestin, the active ingredient for what would become the oral birth control pill. That's Luis of Miramontes. So, I mean, he's a hero. This is to a lot of people. Okay. Um, now I'm, I'm we're going to move on to the climate in which of African American country. And briefly, I'm going to go through this as fast as I can because this is a lot, and I don't want to really stay on it too long. I want people who are going to talk other than me to have an opportunity to talk. So we have slavery, 1501 to 1865. That's actual slavery. So we're not saying it got better at, at 1865. We're just saying there's been no chattel slavery. So those who are listening, it might be have uh, something to say about the African slaves uh, came to the New World uh, through um, Spanish settlers uh, brought the slaves from Africa to Santo Domingo, now the capital of the Dominican Republic. Okay, in 1865, slavery was abolished. The 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution outlaws slavery. It does not outlaw slavery if you are incarcerated. But this is not, not this is not that day. This is uh, African American history. So, poet Noor says, as slaves, black men and women were treated like objects of possession to perform and behave as will by their capture, rapist, murderer, torturer, abuser, intimidator, and enemy. Slavery contributed to the destruction of the mind, spirit, body, individual, ethical foundation, culture, relationships, families, communities, sovereignty, and peace of the enslaved people. Okay? From um, a British, a Berea college student as a part of a course, young man, is unidentified, says from 1882 to 1968, 4,743 there were 4,743 lynchings occurred in the United States. Of these people that were lynched, 3,436 were black. So that's 4,743 lynched. 3,436 were black. The blacks lynched accounted for 72.7% of the people lynched. These numbers seem large. But it is known, but it is known that not all of these lynchings were ever recorded. So that number is probably larger than that. Out of the 4,743 people lynched, only 1,297 white people were lynched. That is only 27.3%. Many of the whites were lynched for helping the black or being anti-lynching and even for domestic crime. So it was even scary, a scary time for uh, Caucasians in the uh, Americas because they string him up right next to their, that black man. So the Negro Holocaust, lynching and race riots in the United States uh, between 1980, 1880 and 1950 by Robert A. Gibson, immediately following the end of the Reconstruction the federal government of the United States restored white supremacist control to the South and adopted a laissez-faire policy in regard to the Negro. It was Negroes back then, okay? So the Negro was betrayed by his country. This policy resulted in the Negro disenfranchisement, social, educational, and employment discrimination and of uh, the problem of his civil and human rights, which he had already been deprived of just about everything, every right that a human was uh, should be should have. Blacks were reduced to the status of a quasi-slavery or second-class citizenship. 
a tense atmosphere of racial hatred, ignorance, and fear bred lawless, mass violence, murder, and lynching. According to the Tuskegee Institute, figures between figures between the years of 1882 and 1951, again, 4,730 people were lynched in the United States. 3,437 were Negro, and 1,293 were white. The largest number of lynches occurred in 1892. 230 persons lynched that year, 161 were Negroes, and 60 were non-whites. Another fact um, that refutes the fallacy of rape as being the primary cause of Negro lynchings is that between 1882 and 1927, 92 women were victims of lynch mobs. 76 were Negroes and 16 white. Certainly, they could not have been raped. That's very interesting. That's 76 women. For what? For standing up for themselves? Okay. When the sentiment of a community favored lynching, the laws were difficult or to enforce. Pay, pay close attention to this because this sounds familiar. State authorities often attempted to prevent lynchings, but seldom punished the mob participants because of the tight hold on the courts by local public opinion. Lynchers were rarely ever indicted by a grand jury or sentenced. The judge, prosecutor, jurors, and witnesses, all white, were usually in sympathy with the lynchers. They might have was out there in the crowd. Does that sound familiar to anybody? W.E.B. Du Bois. W.E.B. Du Bois became the first African-American to earn a doctorate from Harvard. He fought for African-American rights and co-founded the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. He was also colored, he was Negro colored. This was back in the day terms for uh, African Americans or black people. So that's an NAACP, just in case I um, didn't catch that. So he's the co founder of W.E.B. Du Bois, he's the co founder of the NAACP. And he's not really a, a, a known as to be a, a, a violent character in um, African American uh, history. So, but here's what he said. W.E.B. Du Bois occasionally encouraged blacks to fight back. He said, if we are to die, he angrily wrote after a Pennsylvania mob lynched, Pennsylvania now, that's not down south, Pennsylvania mob lynched a Negro in 1911. In God's name, let us not perish like bells of hay. Lynching, said W.E.B. Du Bois, would stop in the south when the cowardly mob is faced with effective guns in the hands of people determined to sell their souls dearly. So, if um, A. Philip Randolph, editor of the Militant Socialist Monthly, The Messenger, also advocated physical resistance to white mobs. The black man has no rights which will be respected unless the black man enforces that respect. We are consequently urging Negroes and other oppressed groups concerned with lynching and mob violence to act upon the recognized and act upon the recognized and accepted law of self defense. So, you know, the NAAC, as I said, the NAACP, right? was considered a, a moderate by um, Randolph, also defended the legality of black retaliatory self-defense from mob attack. But that's natural to defend yourself against somebody who's trying to burn you, castrate you, or dismember you, uh, and hang you, beat you to death. So I think that's a natural right to um, do so. Jim Crow, and this is something else. It, just, it lasted a long time. It might as well listen to this. Jim Crow was the name of the racial caste system which operated primarily but not exclusively in southern and border states between 1877 and the mid-1960s. 
1960s. That's Martin Luther King. That's the Black Panthers. That's all those guys dealing with this of that period. Jim Crow was more than a series of rigid anti-black laws. It was a way of life. Under the Jim Crow, African Americans were regulated to the status of a second-class citizen. I think it's less than that. Uh, Jim Crow represented the legitimization of anti-black racism. Many Christian ministers and theologians taught that whites were the chosen black chosen people. Blacks were cursed to be servants, and God supported racial segregation. Mm, that don't sound good to me. So, at every level, the uh, belief that blacks were innately, intellectually, and culturally inferior to whites. So that was taught just about at every level. You know that the blacks were an inferior uh, race, which we know is not. Both segregation politicians gave eloquent speeches on the great dangers of integration, the uh, mongrelization of the white race. That's mixing up a white man with a uh, black person. You, they said the child would be a mongrel, like you just be like, you know, just effed up. Let's just use it, just, you know, so, you know, he's less than a human. You know, newspaper and magazine writers routinely referred to blacks as niggers, coons, and darkies, and worse. Their articles reinforce anti-black stereotype. You hear that? Newspaper and magazine writers, all right? That's the media. Even children's games portray blacks as inferior beings, brainwashing their own, indoctrinating their own people to hate and look down on another people. All major social institutions reflected and supported the oppression of blacks. Understand what I'm saying? So Dr. David um, Pilgrim, professor of sociology of Ferris State University, said Jim Crow system was undergraded by the following beliefs and rationalization. Whites were superior to blacks in all important ways, including but not limited to intelligence, morality, and civilized behavior, sexual relations between blacks and whites would produce a mongrel race which would destroy America. Treating blacks as equals would encourage interracial sexual unions and activity which suggested social inequality, encouraged interracial sexual relationships. If necessary, violence must be used to keep blacks at the bottom of the racial hierarchy. So that brings us to what came out of all of that shit and garbage? This big cesspool, here's what happened. We have Rosa Parks, Rosa Louise uh, Parks, American civil rights activist from Tuskegee, Alabama. Rosa Parks, a seamstress and a long-time activist member of the Montgomery, um, Alabama Chamber of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. We just going to call it the NAACP from here on. Said she was arrested for refusing to give up her seat on a municipal bus to a white man, and that sparked the Montgomery bus boycott. That was all everybody, all the black people, some white that supported them. It was a little safer back then, you know, to do things. I read somewhere where it said that she was um, motivated to do that by the uh, murder of Emmett Till, and we'll get to that later on. Emmett Till, the 14-year-old uh, youth from Chicago visiting his relatives down south, and, you know, we'll get to that. Martin Luther King, Jr., he spearheaded the civil rights um, movement. Everybody knows him. He needs no introduction for real. We know that uh, he was uh, murdered, assassinated uh, in 1968. He did the black boycott that of the bus lines after uh, Rosa Parks, you know, kicked it off organized the uh, Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Malcolm X, uh, he was murdered, assassinated, killed in 1965. He's a black leader known as El Haj Malik El Shabazz. In 1964, after a pilgrimage to Mecca, he announced his conversion to Orthodox Sunni Muslim 
and his new belief that there could be brotherhood between black and white. Originally, he was a he was a speaker for the modified he was like the speaker for the Nation of Islam here in the United States under uh, Elijah Muhammad. So uh, he, what happened to him? He made a trip to Mecca and he noticed that Muslims were all, all people, not one people, all people. And under Elijah Muhammad, Muslims were just black people. So what happened is he, he split from that uh, organization and joined the Sunni uh, Muslim. He was murdered, shot, killed in a public auditorium in front of his family in 1965 in New York City. Mecca Evers. I don't know a lot of people know uh, Mecca Evers, but Mecca Evers uh, applied to the then segregated University of Mississippi Law School in February 1954. When this application, oh, we have a caller. I'm sorry. I got a little carried away. Well, welcome, caller. Welcome to the Box of the Story. Hey, how you doing, Carl? This is Kenny. How What's are you? What's up, Kenny? All right. Uh, I'm, I'm fine. Um, uh, you touched on some uh, um, great uh, topics. Um one thing I'll just uh, like I I I just like to ask a question <clears throat> for you and your audience. Do you think knowing our history will help us to deal with certain current situations that are affecting our community? Personally, I think that you know, as uh, Malcolm said, you know, if you don't know where you uh, been, you can't know where you're going. So. That's going to help some of us. Some people might not care about that. You know what I'm saying? Some people might be focused on me. And when you have when you have individuals who are, are have a narcissistic uh, point of view and way of dealing with life, they don't care about history, they care about right now. You understand what I'm saying? So I mm-hmm. think, yes, it will help us. It will help us, and it may not help all of us. Just like you, um, you have, you have, you might have five kids, right? You tell them, you teach them right and wrong. One of them might go to jail. You might have one of them kids. He goes to jail. He gets in trouble with the police, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know we all got the same message. Yeah, yeah. All got the same message. So yeah, I think we need to know our history is important. Who we are, where we came from, as I said in the beginning, is very important as to um the next step that we take. We need to understand hey, hey. the world. Huh? No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Said, we no, need to understand the world and how how the world uh, has impacted on us as a people. We need to understand that. But we don't we don't have that. You know, like you know, I'm, I'm you know, like some organizations we had were originally um social organizations that became criminal organizations. You understand what I'm saying? You know, yes. They broke they were um um, the FBI with the Cohen Protel focused on all organ- a lot of organ- black organizations that were forming after the Black Panther Party. You know, they mm-hmm. focused on them and, and infiltrated them with us. You know what I'm saying? Right. Use us against us. Divide and conquer is the oldest trick in the book. Yeah. You- I mean, like, you know, it's- and, you know, you've seen what happened to the Black Panther Party. You know, they were uh, basically uh, cut off. Cut the head of the Black Panther Party off. Then you see it um, in California. You got all these gangs now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and another thing is that how can we? Can we? And I say we. Uh, I'm talking about the Black community. That that the predominantly Black communities around this country. Um, how can we get the educational system? On board to have a closely based curriculum. Well, yes, well, well like, know, for that's example, a, like for example, you know, algebra. Let's take mathematics and algebra. You know, it was mathematics was invented on our homeland right. in Mother Africa. You know, and, and I think if people knew that, maybe they'll take a little bit more more interest in the educational system because um, 
you know, as I look at these stats around the country, you know, uh, we are still, you know, especially black young men are still like last. They're first to drop out and last to graduate. You know, how can history play a role in in uh, in the phenomenon? Right. Well, you know, as I'm bringing this to the forefront now, for the for, to the forefront here, I'm showing how that these people um, rose under extraordinary um, circumstances. You know what I'm saying? Make the effort. These. I didn't get to some of them, but, you know, they came up out of the sit and the cesspools of this country, the bowels of the nation. You understand what I'm saying? The the blacks educate themselves against the law for them to read. They they could be killed if they learned how to read, if they were educated. They still learn. You know, at the time when, you know, know, that that was important to us. Not long ago, it was important to get a high school diploma. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That was important. I'm, I'm going to get that high school diploma. You know, you might have been doing your dirt and everything, but you wanted to graduate. Now we got what? We got a, 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 I don't know what the dropout percentage is, but it's, it's, it's a lot. You know, it's, it's truancy is, is, is prevalent. You know what I'm saying? Kids don't, they don't bother you getting to school on time. You know, and when you see kids just, just truant, like, and, 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 and uh, just uh, late for school constantly, it's like, What's going on? You got to start questioning what's happening in the in the family. What's going on in that kid's head? How's that impacting? How's that family or and or the community impacting on the child? Also, we got this thing with the in Philadelphia, where they closed down all these schools, and these kids got to walk a long way. These small kids, like you know, what I mean, elementary school kids have a long way to go mm-hmm. to school. You know, they got to get up in the night. They get to, they get up at an hour in which you would never send your child outside to go to school. So they can get to school. You know what I'm saying? We got to live like 1.5 miles away from the school. Like you know, not to get off track, but if you sent your child to the store one point miles away, you if you sent your um, fourth grader, fifth grader 1.5 miles away to go to the store, they would have a problem with you. Somebody, people would be questioning your ability to parent your child, right? Am I right? Right. Yeah. So that would be a problem. But you got kids that have to walk that far to school, and they're walking that that distance in a hostile environment because, as we know, the inner cities are very hostile. We have people who are at war with each other. We have communities that are at war with each other. We have students Mm -hmm. that are at war with each other. A lot can happen to your kid traveling all 10 city blocks. And, you know, in Philadelphia, you know, you, you go, you can go, Two blocks, and you in somebody else's neighborhood. Even though that it may look like your neighborhood to somebody else, you can two blocks. You you in you Mm -hmm. in somebody else's neighborhood. So it's dangerous out here. So, so, but what I I think needs to happen first is the internal. Internally, we need to change. Every individual needs to make a change internally, because nothing. Oh, it's going to struggle is going to be harder if we don't make that internal change. You know what I'm saying? We have to raise, as I said on previous shows, you need to raise the bar. You know what I'm saying? Our standard of life, what we want, we need to raise it, what we're willing to endure, what we're willing to uh, let happen in our communities, in our homes, in our lives. We need to raise that bar. Until we do that, we're going to be struggling a lot. We're going to be struggling against each other. We're going to continue because it should be unacceptable for us to kill each other the way that we do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like our life doesn't matter. How do you think right. history will look upon this generation, us? Like, like the midnight, say what? Would you it's say? the lost generation. It's the lost generation. Oh, Not everybody, though, you know, because, I'm like, you know, you have that. We tend to focus on the, the worst about uh, things a lot, too. I noticed that, but, you know, because we have brothers in the hood that wear their pants up. Even guys on the corner with their pants up. They're not wearing their pants down and, and have more discretion in what they do. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But then you have other guys who don't have any dis- discretion. Because I know, like, when, when my mom lives, it was, they had shootouts when the kids were getting out of school. You know what I'm saying? That's, that should yeah. be um, that should be taboo. I don't care. I don't care if you're a drug dealer. I don't care how bad you're supposed to be. That should be something that you would never do. 
How are you going to have a shootout with these little kids trying to get home? Or parents trying to pick their kids up from school? And it's a bunch of them. No honor among these. No honor, period. You have no boundaries. It's like, I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Can't have that attitude. There's no such thing as that. You can't do what you want to do when you want to do it. You can try. But whatever it is you want to do, it should not put somebody else at risk. Well, you Nobody know. have to. Huh? What do you think? What do you think Malcolm, Martin, Mega, Marcus, uh, uh, Elijah, W.E.B.D., you know, what do you think our elders have ancestors that look upon us? What do you think they're saying about us? You already said we're a lost generation. You know, what do you think, like, do you think, like, say, wow, you know, like, I gave my life and my family up for these folks? I mean, they're crying. Is really, yeah, yeah. They are crying. Trust me. If, if, if it's a such thing, you know, wherever they are, if they succeeded, they got to be crying. Uh, all right, Cart, man, I'm going to let you go. Continue with the show. Great show. All right, Kenny. Yeah. Thank all you, right, man. All right, all right, be easy. All right. All right, peace. Okay, so we've been talking about Mega Evers, right? And so he, and he's, very, he's a very important figure, but I don't hear a lot of people talking about him. I know they made a movie about him. How Rollins played Mega Everett. And um, he was very important because he, he tried to enroll in his um, school, uh, Mississippi Law School, right? And um, what happened was that uh, it became the focus of an NAACP campaign to desegregate the school. The case um, aided by the U.S. Supreme Court ruling in the case of Brown versus the Board of Education, which is very famous or used to be um, famous things, you know. It used to be known, Brown versus the Board of Education, a very famous case. That's the, um, that desegregation was unconstitutional. So that's why you guys are, um, in terms of the Constitution, black folks, uh, Latinos, and anybody, Asians, anybody that's not non-white, why you can go to... Uh, so-called white schools, it's because it's unconstitutional as a result of Brown versus Board of Education and public schools. So in December of that year, Evers became the NAACP's first field officer in Mississippi. After moving to Jackson, he was involved in the boycott campaign against white merchants and was instrumental in eventually desegregating the University of Mississippi, the school he couldn't get into, when that institution was finally forced to enroll James Meredith in 1962. So that's um, almost 10 years, that eight years or something it took for that to happen. So in the weeks leading up to his death himself, the target of a number of threats, his public investigations into the murder of Emmett Till and his vocal support of Clyde Kennard left him vulnerable to attack. Now, I didn't get a chance to look up Clyde Kennard. Emmett Till, I think, is very famous also. Um, a little story about Emmett, um, um, Edgar, um, Met, uh, Medgar Evers. Him and his wife always said when you pull up to the driveway and get out of the car, never get out on the driver's side because it was a lot across the street from the house, and getting out on the driver's side made him an open target. So one night, Everett returned home late. I guess he was so tired, he just got out on the driver's side, and he was murdered. So shot in his driveway. Emmett Till was a 14-year-old child from Chicago visiting his family in Mississippi. He was brutally murdered for flirting with a white woman four days earlier. His assassin, his assailants, the white woman's husband and her brother made Emmett carry a 70-pound cotton gin fan to the bank of the Tallahatchie River and order him to take off his clothes. 
The two men then beat him nearly to death, gouged out his eye, shot him in the head, then took his body, tied to the cotton gym sand with Bob wire into the river. Bob Bryant and L.W. Millam went to the home of Till's great uncle, Mose Wright, with his brother-in-law, W. Millam, in the early morning hours of August the 28th. The pair demanded to see the boy, despite pleas from Wright, his great uncle. So he's pretty old. He must be pretty old. He's a great uncle. Um, they forced Emmett into their car after driving around in Memphis in the Memphis night and perhaps beating Till in a tool house behind Millam's residence, they drove him down to the Tallahatchie River. So this is said to be one of the motivating factors that influenced Rosa Parks' decision not to give her seat to a white man because Rosa Parks was sitting down on the bus and a white man wanted, because she was sitting in front of the bus, I think, and a white man wanted that seat, she refused to give it, give it up. So black people were under attack legally and illegally in this country, and we still thrive. The Black Panther Party, that brings us to these guys. Huey P. Newton, Minister of Defense, and Bobby Seeley, Chairman, founded the Black Panther Party of Self-Defense. There's originally six members of the uh, Black Panther Party. I don't know all their names, but of the six, these, are, these two are the most famous of the original six. Uh, says, uh, this, this, check this out about Huey. He said he was illiterate when he graduated from high school, taught himself how to read and enroll in Oakland, Ca uh, California's Merritt College and studied law at the San Francisco School of Law. That's for all you brothers out there who feel that you are so far behind in your studies that you can't get the job done. Here's a brother right here who was illiterate when he graduated from high school. We have a lot of that going on. But he taught himself how to read, and you don't have to teach yourself. You can go get some help. But I'm just saying this, this brother had taught himself how to read. Was not, wasn't anybody out there reaching out to him to say, hey, I'm going to teach you. Huey, come here. You didn't get it in high school. Then he helped you get it. He taught himself, and he went to college and studied law. That's not easy. Law books, that's a, that's a whole new ballgame when it comes to reading that stuff. So in 1966, they formed the Black Panthers. The Black Panthers call on all blacks to arm themselves for the liberation struggle and against the injustice, aggression, violence, races, and vicious police departments in the black community. Elvis <laughs> Cleaver also joined the Black Party Black Panther Party in nineteen sixty six. He became the Minister of Information. The Black Panther Party 10-point program stated the principal stance of the Black Panther Party, economic exploitation is at the root of all oppression in the United States and abroad, and the abolition of capitalism is a precondition of social injustice. I'm going to say that one more time. The principal stance of the Black Panther Party, economic exploitation is at the root of all oppression in the United States and abroad. And the abolition of capitalism is a precondition to social injustice. That means until we get rid of these greedy capitalists, there will never, ever be social justice. You'll never get it. So in the 1960s, the socialist economic outlook informed by the Marxist political uh, philosophy resound with the with other social movements in the United States and in other parts of the world. Therefore, even as the Black Panther Party found allies both within and beyond the borders of North America, the organization found itself squarely crosshairs of the WHO Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, and its counterintelligence program. Cohen Tell Pro. In fact, in 1969, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover considered the Black Panther Party the greatest threat to national security. Now, here, here's the thing about that. 
here are some brothers in a community that's being brutalized so bad by the by Los Angeles, Oakland, on police department, whatever, Chicago. They're being brutalized so bad that they feel that they have to take up arms to keep the police off of them, to get some respect. Government's not going to protect them. It's going to penalize them, villainize them. FBI is going to say, hey, any man, anybody, any any black man standing up like that is a threat. So that was, well, I, I guess J. Edgar Hoover is saying that. I don't know. But if anybody has had to pick up a gun to defend himself, you need to look at why he's picking up that gun and deal with that. So the FBI under J. Edgar Hoover begins a program called COINTELPRO, Counterintelligence Program, to break up the spreading unity of revolutionary groups that had begun solidifying through the work and example of the Black Panther. Basically, we can't let these folks unify. We can't let them become strong. The Black Panther Party is not a, about shooting people and things like that and things like that. They were about self-defense in the community, uplifting the community. So, Bobby Hutton, just for some examples of what happened. <laughs> On April 6, 1968, in West Oakland, Bobby Hunt, 17 years old, is shot dead by Oakland police in a 90-minute gun battle. An unarmed Bobby Hutton is shot 10 times dead after his house is set ablaze and he is to run out into, the, into a fire of bullets. Robert uh, Kennedy is assassinated two months after Bobby Hutton. Kennedy was viewed as sympathetic to the civil rights movement. Fred Hampton, Chicago leader of the uh, Panthers Loco. Fred Hampton leads five different uh, breakfast programs on the west side. Again, five different breakfast, breakfast programs on the west side of Chicago. He creates a free medical center, Fred Hampton, um, and initiates a door-to-door program of health services which tests for sickle cell anemia and encourage blood drives for the Cook County Hospital. The Cargo Party also begins reaching out to local gangs to clean up their act, get them away from crime, and bring them into the class war. The party's effort meets wide success. In Hampton's audiences, an organized contingent grow by the day. On December 4th, at 4 o'clock a.m. in the morning, thanks to information from an FBI informant, Chicago police raid the Panthers' Chicago apartment, murdering Fred Hampton while he sleeps in bed. He is shot twice in the head, once in the arm and shoulder, while three other people sleeping in the same bed escape unharmed. Stokely Carmichael. Stokely Carmichael is an African-American social activist originally from Trinidad. He lived in New York City after 1952 and graduated from Howard University. Okay, he's not, we ain't talking about street thugs. Carmichael participated in the Congress of Racial Equality Freedom Rides in 1961, and by 1964, was a field organizer for the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC, S-N-C-C. I think it's like say SNCC. Anyway, in Alabama, as the SNCC chair in 1966, he ejected more moderate leaders and set off a storm of controversy by calling for black power, a concept he elaborated in 1967. I don't even know if some people listening can even remember it, but the time when black power was a the, the cry for the black community. You know, that this up in the air and uh, people were at least thinking about uh, black power, black people having some power. So Coke, Stokely Carmichael, the, um, he was known as the proponent for black power. It is recruited into the Black Panther Party and soon becomes the party's prime minister in February 1968. 
And then we have this organization called the Crips. Now, I was reading about the Crips because, you know, the Crips is a huge gang in Los Angeles and probably the United States, right? So as I said, this information says uh, the Crips were not always the gangbangers they are known to be. The Crips were formed in 1969. Raymond Washington and I think Tookie, um, Stanley Tookie Williams, are supposed to have formed the Crips. But this says Raymond Washington, a high school student at the time, founded the organization in a response to the increasing level of police harassment of the black community. Gary Brown from the Socialist Alternative says, Crips stood for community, resource for independent people. P. Newton and Bobby Silly. Further down in Oakland. So, you know, um, those brothers were in Oakland, California. Crips are in Los Angeles. So, <laughs> we have H. Rat Brown. H. Rat Brown was a civil rights of militant. He rallied support for African Americans and urged them to arm themselves against the violence that white America used against them to hinder them and uh, commit social injustice and violate their constitutional rights. So, you know, this was uh, all this is happening in the 60s. We have uh, Miss uh, Angela Davis. I'm not going to have enough time to finish this, as you see. So we have 90 seconds left. Angela Davis was an uh, American political activist and philosopher. She was a member of the uh, SNCC and the Black Panther Party and the uh, Communist Party. She was uh, she was arrested as, as a suspected conspirator in an attempt to free George Jackson from the courtroom in California. The guns were registered in her name. She was later acquitted of all those charges. She made the FBI's most wanted list. So I'm going to have to cut this short as we're running out of time, you know, but in honorable mention, we got Thurgood Marshall. That's, uh, he's the attorney on the uh, Board of uh, Brown versus the Board of Education and the first uh, black appointed to the Supreme Court. Nat Turner is a movie about him. Go see it, rent it, whatever you want to do. Harriet Tubman had a lot of heart. Free slaves from the South made about 19 trips back and forth, um, bringing people through the Underground Railroad. Sojourner Truth, George Washington Carver did everything with the peanut. Marcus Garvey, please read about Marcus Garvey. Okay, um, Toussaint Le Overture, Charles Drew, uh, Jack Johnson, the boxer, Muhammad Ali stood up against the Vietnam War. We have colleges, Cheney State, Lincoln University. Morehouse College, Barack Obama. I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. Sorry I didn't get a chance to uh, go through everything that I wanted to talk about. But please, do some research. Everybody look back to go forward. I want to thank everyone for calling and listening. And remember, I want to thank Queen Mother for Real Media for allowing me to host the show. I want to thank the creator. And remember, each one reach out and teach one. Peace, y'all. Everybody.
Just brown in the sunshine. 